You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Great, great. You're on theme now. You know what we're doing. We're in a season that the church calls epiphany. You've heard the word epiphany. When someone has an epiphany, they've had a revelation. They've had an insight. They've had some kind of vision or sight into what is going on in the world or what God is up to or just some new picture of what they should be doing. That's what this season is about. It's about Jesus revealing himself to us in fresh ways so that we can see the real Jesus. Jesus uses a lot of light, dark language. He uses a lot of seeing language, especially in Luke 11 through 12. And I have to just be honest with you, Luke's my favorite gospel. And so that's why we've been spending a lot of time there. So just because I love it and I want to hang out with Jesus as much as possible when it comes to hearing from God's word. 11 and 12 is where we're kind of parking right now because it has a lot of light, dark, light, dark language, a lot of seeing and sight language. And I think we can use these passages to help us better understand what Jesus is up to, who he really is, because Jesus wants to teach us about himself and how we can really see the real him. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them. The number's on the bottom of the screen at all times, on your bulletin, or right there, 871-9985. That's our phone number. I picked it because I was born in 1985. It's close. Look, it's close. That's it. As always, we want to start with the bad news. But even before the bad news, I'm going to ask you a question. It's like, what do you think about when you think about God? What's that picture? Because that picture is everything. It determines your whole lives. It determines uh, the actions that you have. And it determines not only the actions you have, it, it, it determines what you think God wants from you. That picture is wildly important. And the bad news is, if your picture of God is off, then your whole life will be off. Your actions will be off. Your whole life is going to be off course. Because this picture of God that we have, who we think God is, is going to be off. And so it's going to lead us away. And that's what we're going to be reading about today. Jesus is going to be arguing with religious leaders. We love it when Jesus argues with religious leaders. Often forgetting that we are kind of like religious leaders sometimes. Certainly me. I'm reading Jesus get after these guys and I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, oh no, wait, I'm a religious leader. So it's also scary and humbling. He's arguing with religious leaders about their picture of God and what they believe God wants from them as a faithful response. They have a picture of God and they have actions associated with that picture of what it means to please that God. And Jesus says, you're off. You're not right. And it's not just a a small accident and it's not just like, well, we'll work through it. It's like you're you're starting off course just a little bit, but you're going to end off way over here and you're leading a bunch of people with you. And I just am not going to let you keep doing it. And the story we read today is going to begin like this. When the Pharisees saw that Jesus didn't ritually purify his hands by washing them before the meal, he was astonished. First, if you're a teenager in here, just know that Jesus doesn't wash his hands before dinner. I just want you to know that. And he's going to pick a fight with people about it. Now, they did it as a religious thing, not as like a germ thing. They didn't know about germs then. So still listen to your parents. But I'm just saying, WWJD. You know what I mean? Like, what would, 
Oh, Jesus. He saw it. And it did not comport with what he believed about God and what God wanted from us. God wants us to ritually wash ourselves before we eat, they thought. That's what God desires. That's what makes us right with God. That's what makes us holy. Are you washing your hands? Are you holy? Are you doing what we think our picture of God tells us to do, to be right and holy and good and clean before the Lord? And Jesus is like, you you missed it. You missed it. Their picture of God is off. They're going to fight about it. I bring this, I've, I've told you this quote maybe a dozen times if you've been around the last few years, but I think about it often. It's my favorite quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most portentous fact about any human, about any man, women, you get excluded from this somehow. Any man is not that he at a given time may say or do, we're not talking about his actions yet, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think God. And we, he says we have this law in us that we're going to move towards that image And Jesus wants to be dead sure that you have an accurate image of who the Father is and what the Father desires from you. Because our actions stem from our beliefs. I teach this to my kids in in Chico State. Beliefs, values, norms. We have things that we believe are true and false and our actions come from that. That's That's where all of our actions come from is a belief system or the beliefs that we hold. An example that I always use Week one, now week two, because of some politics, uh, there was some striking happening. It was a hot mess. But one of the examples I always ask them, I always ask these kids, right? Most of them not raised in church at all. I say, do you believe in soulmates? And if you do, what are you looking for? How do you know you found it? And if you don't, how do you know you found your partner? And 95% of my students say Yes. I believe in a stole. They, they text me and they, and they tell me they do. By the way, you know the chapter that talks about soulmates in here? There's not one. <laughs> it's not there. But we have this cultural belief. Well, how do you know when you found your soulmate? Now it's like vibes and like chemistry. Bro, that's ripe for abuse. You're not connecting with values. You're not connecting with uh, shared future goals. You're connecting because you feel a certain way when you're around a human being. Ugh, don't get me started. But here's some texts that I got from that I thought the funniest ones. Yes, I do believe in soulmates. That's why I'm engaged. Whoa, 18-year-old found it. Good for her. Good for her. She found it already. I was like, it's one thing to be engaged. It's another thing to be like, this is the soulmate. I got married at 19, no judgment. Listen, I found mine too. No, I don't because I haven't found mine yet. That makes me think you do. You know what I mean? That makes me think you actually do. You just are like, you know, you're kind of one of these doubting Thomas types. Show me. When I find it, I'll believe in it. Someone said, yeah, I do believe in it because I'm cheesy like that. And I at least appreciate their awareness And then my favorite one of all 90 students was, yes, just 
Yes, just not in Chico. And I was like, you know what? Good for you. Makes sense. That makes sense. A lot of the, most of my students are from Southern California, and they're like, it is country up here. And I'm like, welcome. Bless your heart. And so they're like, not here, though. Not here. And I say that because their beliefs about this thing that is improvable, it's not even scriptural, but a lot of them have this belief. It determines their actions, and that's true for us. If your picture of God, if your belief about God is off, then everything about your life is going to be off. And that's what Jesus is going to argue with the religious leaders today. And we got a lot of scripture to get through, and most of it is Jesus taking these religious leaders to task. I'm going to give you some short commentary in the middle of it. But if you would, turn with me to Luke 11 and or page 793 if you're using a pew Bible. Jesus is going to get after these guys. If you're on the right page, it starts in the upper right-hand corner. He condemns the Pharisees and the legal experts. Just to remind you where we are, Jesus is stuck between the crowds who want miracles and the religious leaders who want power and control and to appear like they are um, right with God so that they can maintain that power and control. And Jesus is stuck in the middle and he's frustrated with both. But right now, it's primarily going to be about religious leaders. It says, and I quote, starting in verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to share a meal with him. Jesus loves to eat every chapter in Luke he's eating. So Jesus went and took his place at the table. And when the Pharisee saw, when he saw that Jesus didn't ritually purify his hands by washing before the meal, he was astonished. The story doesn't say that he said anything, just that he was in shock. And then Luke hits us with this. The Lord said to him, not Jesus, right? The second word is Jesus, but all now it's the Lord is speaking. The Lord said to this man, simply astonished, hosting a meal, the Lord is about ready to say something to him. Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and platter, but your insides are stuffed with greed and wickedness. Foolish people, Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Therefore, give to those in need from the core of who you are. And the Greek says, and see, but it's not in this version. But see language is there, and see, you will be clean all over. How terrible for you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of your mint and rue and garden herbs of all kinds while neglecting justice and love for God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. What he's, what he's saying to these people is, you're tithing the mint out of your garden, but you're not loving your neighbor. God refuses a religion, a spirituality that prioritizes God and neglects the neighbor. And so he says, you've, you've tithed the mint, the dill, but you forgot about your neighbor with justice and love. 43, how terrible for you, Pharisees. You love the prominent seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. They love to be seen. How terrible for you. You are like unmarked graves. People walk on them without recognizing them. You love to be seen and it has deadened your soul to the point that you are now like a grave without a marker and people trample all over you, he says. And then one of the legal experts, I love this, One of the lawyers, the legal expert, says, hey, we're obviously willing to have dinner with this guy, which in that world means we're associating with him, we like him, we want want to be cohorts with him, maybe we even would do the same things he would do. That's what table politics means. 
And so this legal expert says, teacher, when you say those things about our host, you are insulting us too. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, my bad. (laughs) Jesus goes, I got something to say to you too, legal experts. How terrible for you. You load people down with impossible burdens and you refuse to lift a single finger to ever even help them. How terrible for you. This is a confusing section. I'll explain it in a second. You built memorials to the prophets when your an- whom your ancestors killed. And in this way, you testify that you approve of your ancestors' deeds. They killed the prophets and you build memorials? Therefore, God's wisdom has said, I will send prophets and apostles to them and they will harass and kill some of them. And as a result, this generation will be charged with the murder of all the prophets since the beginning of time. This includes the murder of every prophet from Abel, the first one to die in the Bible, to Zechariah, the last prophet to die in the Bible, who was killed between the altar and the holy place. Yes, I'm telling you, this generation will be charged for it. And so Jesus is saying, you think you're being holy by building tombs for these dead prophets? But since you live like the people who killed them, you're actually building monuments to your own destruction. And so they're not tombs for the prophets. They're memorials to how wicked you are. And we ultimately know that this is the generation that kills Jesus. He's right about what he's saying here. How terrible for you, legal experts. You snatched away the key of knowledge. You didn't enter yourself and you stood in the way of those who were trying to get in. As he left the dinner, so I imagine he was too fired up to even eat at that point. Didn't wash his hands and he's like, fine, I won't even eat your dumb food. As he left there, the legal experts and the Pharisees began to resent him deeply and they started to ask pointed questions to try to trap him, right? They were plotting against him. They tried to trap him. Flip the page. One more verse. It's a giant chapter break, but it's still the same story. Jesus walks outside all of his disciples there and crowds, thousands upon thousands, are standing there to greet him as he walks out the door. It says, when a crowd of thousands upon thousands had gathered so that they were crushing each other, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples but ultimately to all of them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, which is their hypocrisy. In this version, it says the mismatch between their hearts and their lives. That is the word of the Lord for the people of God today. As always, what does God want us to know, feel, do? With our head, our heart, and our hands, I think that gives us a holistic faith where God's love and grace and conviction and challenge moves to us, through us, and back out into the world. And so I always ask of every passage, and I encourage you to do the same thing. What's the information God's giving us? No, head. What's the transformation experience that God wants us to feel because of it? Because it can't just stay information. And what are we supposed to do with it? How is it supposed to change our lives and our world and our families and our friends and our coworkers? And here's what I take away this day with the theme of seeing and epiphany. Jesus deeply wants you to know that what you're exposed to will shape you. What you're exposed to will shape you. What you expose yourself to is shaping you, is discipling you. And I think that's what he primarily means when he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Talking to his disciples, knowing that he's going to die, knowing that there's going to be a bunch of Pharisees around, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. This culture did not understand how yeast worked. It's a fungus. It's everywhere. It's on leaves. It's on hands. What they did know is that if you left out out some dough, 
it would rise. It would, it would start to puff up. Some secret magical force would enter into your bread dough and make it puff up, would make it rise. If I spilled that on myself, that would be hilarious. Distract, it would be distracting. I think what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that influence is often unseen. Influence is often unseen. The things you use to disciple yourself, even if you don't think you're being discipled, oftentimes you are being discipled and that influence is unseen. And the real bad news of this is that we all think individually that we're strong enough to resist the bad parts. I talk to my students all the time about their phones. We all know these are bad for us, but individually we think, well, I'm going to resist the bad stuff and just use the good stuff. 24-hour news cycle, whatever side you're on, both of them. You think you're able to just get the information and leave out the garbage, and you can't. There's people who struggle with alcohol addiction, right? It's, a lot of people think that they can just enjoy it, and then it turns into something worse. Food. We think we're strong enough to resist the bad parts of the bad influence, and you're not. You're not. You're not. Jesus is telling you that there's a secret force, a yeast about the stuff that we expose ourselves to that, that gets in there and does work and leavens us and it shapes us and oftentimes in ways that God does not want us to be shaped. What we expose ourselves to shapes our picture of God, shapes our action, it shapes our whole life. Like I said, like bread. You just leave it out and it starts rising. And Jesus says, this is what the Pharisees are doing. They're everywhere. And they look like they are very holy. And there's a lot of things in American society that are everywhere and it looks like it's of God. And Jesus says, beware. Be aware. Be attentive to what you're exposing yourself to because you might be discipling yourself in a way that God doesn't want you to be discipled. You are letting things influence you that you think are of God and they are not. And so are you being discipled by this or this, right? These are your questions for you. Are you eating dough or something? I don't know, something bad for you? Cheetos? Are you eating Cheetos? Or communing with Christ? Like Jesus is telling you there's a choice before you and the things that you expose yourself to are uh, what is discipling you. And I'll tell you as a pastor, and then I'll move on because... It's time to move on. But this is one of the hardest parts of my job is that I get you for 40 minutes and TikTok and TV get you for 40 hours or whatever it is. The average American watches six hours of TV a day and the average uh, cell phone user is higher than that. Every Sunday morning, my phone's like, bro, chill out with how much you've been watching this nightmare brick of technology. And so every day, five, six hours, I can't disciple you. I can't disciple you beyond what you are inputting at 10 times the volume that I get you for. And so Jesus said, be careful. Be careful. Be careful of what you're exposing yourself to. Even if you're like, it's mostly good, but there's a little bad, Jesus says, you think you're stronger than you are. And the leaven gets in. I'm moving on. What does God want us to feel? What's the experience in the midst of this? The, the feeling language that I saw when Jesus is talking about is about cleanliness. And he means on the inside, purity, 
cleanliness. And so Jesus is saying the quality of your life cannot exceed the purity of your heart. The quality of your sight cannot exceed the purity of your heart. This is the issue with the Pharisees is they have the outside looking good, but the inside is a mess. This is what Jesus says. Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but the insides are stuffed with greed and wickedness, foolish people. Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Get clean everywhere. Get clean all over. Clean here is the word katharos. We have the word catharsis. I couldn't remember. I think the word maybe catheter might be related to it. Listen, listen, I'm just letting you know. I think it is. I didn't do my research. Clean, clear, pure, all these words. Jesus wants you to feel spiritually strong and healthy. And what I love about it is he goes, you spend so much time and energy to try to give the appearance of being clean, clear, healthy, and pure. And it would just be easier if you just actually were on the inside. If you were on the inside, you would be on the outside. But you're spending all this time to present yourself as one way, and on the inside, it is sick and dark and broken. If you fix the inside, you fix the outside. It's easy. Why are you spending so much energy when you could just do the easier thing of getting healthy? It reminds me of this clip from the Karate Kid number two. Try to listen to Mr. Miyagi. Please play. There we go. From very first karate lesson, Miyagi father always say, best way to avoid punch, no be there. I don't get it. Uh, Miyagi say same thing. Until I work here, Miyagi first job work for Sato father. One day Miyagi mind on something other than fish when the empty net returned. That was a little close. Drum technique, understand? Oh yeah. Sorry if you didn't get it. I got the quote for you. From the very first uh, karate lesson, Miyagi's father always said, best way to avoid a punch is to not be there. Well, duh. He's like, I can teach you all the best ways to block punches, but what if you just actually weren't in the way of a punch? Why, why learn the hard ways when you could just not be in front of a punch, right? I can't block this giant spiky thing, but I could just get out of the way. And right before that, he had said something like, the best way to prevent war is to not enter into a war in the first place. It's like, duh. I think about this line all the time. The best way to not be in a fight is to not be in a fight. The best way to not get punched in a fight is to not be in a fight or to be out of the way to not get hit. It's one of these duh moments for me where I think that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Like you work so hard to try to look clean and it's just easier to be clean. Just get clean. And let me tell you how to do it. And he does. I'm going to repeat myself. The religious leaders are spending an enormous amount of energy trying to show people that they are clean, pure, right with God. And Jesus says, why don't you just actually just do it on the inside first, right? I'm paraphrasing. I don't want you to think that's what he says. He says that. Paraphrase. Just get clean on the inside. And Jesus desires that we experience our insides to be clean, to be pure, to be pure of heart. Because he tells us why. Back in Matthew 5, 
Blessed are the pure in heart. Same word, katharos. Blessed are the katharos in heart, for they will see God. You spend all this time trying to pretend to be close to God, trying to pretend that you are, you have the fruit and blessing of being close to God. You will see God when you are pure of heart. It's easier to just be clean. It's easier to just get out of the way. Be clean. Well, that's probably the question then, right? How do we get clean? Jesus says, just do that. It'll figure itself out. How do we get clean? What does God want us to do? Last point, if you have any questions, send them. Jesus is pretty specific. Don't get mad at me about what I'm about to say. Jesus said it. He says, if you want to be clean, give to the poor. Give to the poor to grow in Christ more. I had to make it rhyme just so you think about it later. It's a cheesy rhyme, but this is what he says to you. Give to the poor. Look what he says. Your insides are stuffed with greed and wickedness. Foolish people, didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Therefore, give to those who are in need from the core of who you are and see, that's what the Greek says, edu, and see you will be clean all over. Again, we get nervous when Jesus says stuff like this. I get nervous when Jesus says stuff like this. But he says it as clear as day. Giving to folks in hard places is going to help with that cleanliness process. By the way, before you get nervous again, he didn't say give it to the church. This is not me asking you for anything. Give it to other people. Those in need is who he specifically said, and I think that that's important, not only because that's what the word says to us, but because I think Jesus has a point he's trying to make about this. He has something he wants us to know. Why? give to the poor. How does that help us in the process of purity? Um, If you look at my Instagram algorithm, as I just told you about that nightmare brick, there's a bunch of things you'll see on that Instagram algorithm. First, comedians. I mostly watch comedians. Second, 49er stuff. Um, Number three, sometimes a little spooky, paranormal stuff. I don't know, you know, sometimes I can't turn my eyes away, but I watch it through my sweater. So I don't want to see, see it, but I want to see it. And lastly, it's endless videos of dudes unclogging drains. I don't know why, but it is cathartic for me. It's always just a metal rake, by the way. There's no special tool. It's a rake and a metal grate, and it's all, it's just this, I'm sure you have your thing, this is my thing, that the algorithm's like, well, he watches this from beginning to end, so, um, and when I talk to, it's on loop, um, when I talk to my wife about the purification and the giving down the poor and how that works, she was like, because sometimes things get stuck and you can't just add more leaves to it. You can't just add more money to it. That doesn't make it needs flow. And then she mentioned the word constipation and I was like, that's right. You can't just keep eating. You got to have to you and through you and back out into the world that's healthy. And so I think that's one reason why Jesus is saying you got to give. And you got to give to people who can't pay you back. And you got to give to people who can't pay you back in, in fame or respect or people who are going to probably owe you one later. 
you just got to give. You got to clear it out. You got to throw all those leaves away. Just get them out of the way. That's part of it. But also, and I am wrapping up. Also, I think it's about exposure. Remember what we're exposed to shapes us. And the Pharisees, they lacked humility and justice and love and the understanding that God refuses a religion that is spiritual but doesn't love their neighbors. And when you are serving and helping those in hard places out of your love of God, I think you're being exposed to humbleness. You're being exposed to people that are not a part of that worldly system where you're trying to get repaid or you're just trying to get ahead or you're just trying, you're actually being exposed to the things that God wants you to be exposed to. And it helps with your discipleship and it helps you realize that God desires you to have a a faith that both loves him with your whole self and loves your neighbor as yourself. And so you will not fall into the trap of the Pharisees, which is their hypocrisy, which is their lack of humility. If you're spending time with people who can't pretend to be anything else other than humble. And Jesus says, this is going to help you experience that purity of heart, that catharos. Jesus says it, something for us to do. And so that's it for me. Did I get any questions? I did. Look like one just came through. Mm-mm-mm. He's obviously talking about financial giving, right? But could he also be talking about time and other ways of giving? I think so. I think there's lots of ways that we can serve. Um, if you're asking Pastor James, I, I think part of that is financial. I just think there's a way in which Jesus wants us to be very concerned about uh, money and the influence of money, right? The yeast of money. And so one of the ways that you can defend against the negative influence of money is by being radically generous, particularly, I'm not saying here, I'm saying with people who are in need. And so, um, but obviously there are lots of ways that we can do that if, uh, if we don't have lots of uh, financial options. Uh, I think just being exposed to people who are often left out of the dangerous worldly system will help us to be exposed uh, more closely with uh, the things of God, the love and the justice and the humility that he was desiring for the Pharisees. Great question. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to wrap up. What's the conclusion? If our picture of God is off, our whole life will be off. Our sight will be off. Jesus wants us to know that what you expose yourself to is going to shape you. Be, Be very picky about the stuff that you expose yourself to. Also, Jesus wants you to experience clean. Don't we all just want to feel clean and good and fresh and pure? I do. I do. Jesus wants that for you. And uh, the quality of your life will not exceed the purity of your heart, of your insides, of the inside of your life. And lastly, one of the ways that he helps us to step into that process (laughs) is by loving and serving those who are often on the margins, who are... Uh, in need. And with that, would you pray with me as we head into a time of communion? Thank you, Jesus, for this passage, full of conviction, full of comfort, full of your love for those who are struggling. Would you help us to feel that love in the places where we struggle? Convict us and challenge us 
in the places where we need movement. And comfort us in that you desire good for us. You desire that we would be clean inside and out. And that this wouldn't be a giant struggle to have to look put together all the time. But if we can get to the root of our issues, we really would just shine your goodness, your cleanliness, your purity of heart. Help us, Lord. Give us the energy to do so. And as we come now to this time of communion, would it be a place where we start to surrender to you, to surrender to your uh, work of making us whole and healthy and clean and pure so that we may follow you, the real you, in the real direction that you want us to go. And we give you praise and thanks. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Table Church, will you help me finish that prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.